0: This is the business of sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly.
1: Hello, I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry.
0: Really excited to catch up with Doug Whaley. He is the former senior vice president of the XFL, former general manager of the Buffalo Bills. He's now got a new firm, an investment firm. Buying teams in growth sports—it's called the Beautiful Game Group. We're gonna talk a little bit about that, and also go deep on the NFL because I would say the NFL may be on the edge of, and by the time you listen to this this weekend, maybe in the throes of a full-blown crisis when it comes to COVID. Lynchy, I want to start with you. How big a problem is this for the NFL?
2: Well, it's a—it's it, a serious problem. Because we've already had to uh, postpone a game between Tennessee and Pittsburgh, and now Tennessee is allegedly holding practices outside of their facility, and that's going to just raise the wrath of uh, Roger Goodell. He may discipline them more, and it also opens up the possibility for this thing to be spread. Uh, New England Patriots, I live up here in Boston, Uh, lost Cam Newton for the game against Kansas City. Stephon Gilmore, the reigning NFL Defensive Player of the Year, uh, was tested positive on Monday or Tuesday of this week. And I'm told that the National Football League looked at the security video inside the Patriots facility. They looked at their cafeteria. They looked at their meeting rooms. They looked at every single aspect to try to find if they violated the NFL's strict protocols. And it was determined that the Patriots were compliant and there was social distancing and nobody violated anything. And Stephon Gilmore still came down with COVID nineteen.
0: So Barr, I mean, how much do you worry about? I mean, I feel like we're in a time machine back to the Miami Marlins and the beginning of the major league baseball season when you had one team in that case. It spread to a few more teams now in the NFL, kind of jeopardizing the whole thing for everyone potentially if they don't manage to get it under control because this is an interconnected ecosystem.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, in fact, I thought when the Miami Marlins had that moment, I said, well, that's it for baseball. We, yeah. we tried. See you later. Goodbye. But they kept going. And now you're talking about the king of the four major food groups and sports, the NFL. And with Stephon Gilmore and Cam Newton, uh, players on the Titans, and then they're all going through this with with COVID. I don't think the NFL is just going to stop. It's too powerful. Uh, in fact, got word of the Miami Dolphins, they're now going to have the uh, capability and be allowed to try to seat the entire sixty thousand seat stadium and in and, and right now I, I don't understand that, but okay we'll we'll see what happens there. So I don't know what's going on
0: with it If I could quote the uh, former vice President of the United States and current Democratic nominee and just say, come on, man. I mean, seriously, <laughs> like, is that is that something that right now in October 2020, we're really thinking about? Like, I have to question uh, Stephen Ross and the Dolphins for even entertaining that when you've got super spreader events happening all over the country and rising cases. Like, that seems bananas to me. So I, I guess the other thing that I would bring up is the only... Real solution to this if you ask Gary Bettman or Adam Silver Is you got to create a bubble It was very successful uh, We could actually By the time you're hearing this If you're listening on Saturday or Sunday We could have an NBA champion um, And it would Likely be if if you're listening And there is a champion it's the Lakers Statistically because <laughs> They are up there one game away uh, From winning as we're taking this on Thursday Morning and yet I have to say from a business perspective, guys, and this surprised me a little bit, people aren't really watching, Lynchy.
2: Well, it comes at an odd time of the year. Usually it's in June. They're they're competing against regular season baseball games, which a lot of people tune out, and maybe the Stanley Cup finals, but they sort of dovetailed. uh, They never went head-to-head. Now, you got to think what's happening. On Friday night, they had uh, their lowest uh, all-time low for an NBA final since they began measuring, 6.1 million fans. But that was the night, remember, the President Trump was transported from the White House to Walter Reed Army Hospital, and it was kind of like on cable news, you were kind of glued to that all night long. Sunday night, uh, they had to go against Sunday night football, which is tough, and then the president with COVID earlier in the week. So there's been a lot of other distractions and reasons not to watch the NBA finals. I mean... As a basketball fan, I love LeBron James, uh, Anthony Davis, and his first NBA Finals. And I think the Miami Heat is a compelling story. If this was in June, I think the numbers would be far different than they are right now.
0: Well, I will say, and I'm not just saying this because you are a host of this show, Lynchy, but I have to think maybe if it was... Lakers Celtics, the ratings might be a little bit better. I mean, just for the history, because Boston, you know, hits, and you know this better than anyone from a population perspective, like hits well above its weight as a media market. And in terms of, I mean, it's truly one of the most compelling franchises in the history of the NBA. And again, I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. Um, (laughs) But I, I do think that that would, there would have been a lot it would have felt weightier don't you think
2: yeah well of course you you'd have magic johnson you'd have larry burden right. you'd have comparisons to will chamberlain and bill russell and you go all the way back to to 1960 i mean you know both these two teams have it's almost an annual rite of spring the celtics lakers yes. and uh, in this very strange year uh, i think that what you could fill a lot of the dead time with uh you know the way we were basically
0: yes, yes. exactly exactly bar have you watched
1: I have to be honest, no. And yeah. it's because of what you said right at the beginning, when it was Lakers and Heat, it's like, oh, the Lakers are going to win. So, yeah. and, 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 you know, okay, the Heat will get one game and this and that, whatever, but the Lakers uh, are going to get it. Uh, but it, I agree with what Lynchy also said. Uh, one of the games went up against the night that uh, the, the president, uh, we, we learned, they had COVID. So, and everybody was like, oh, my goodness. Uh, but I, I, I remember back in seventy seventy one when the NBA game of the week was on ABC, it was always Los Angeles Lakers against the Boston Celtics. Yeah, and yeah. that's a reason why because it's a great ratings grabber.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see where it all nets out. I mean, and then of course, from a business perspective, the next thing the NBA has to worry about is doing a draft and getting a plan for the next season and the Miami Dolphins notwithstanding there are some big questions about fans in the seats and there is a difference between an open air stadium and packing people in to the garden or the Staples Center or wherever we're talking about so we'll see where the nba uh ends up but it is weird to your point Lynchy, to be talking about to even <laughs> discuss it, the fact, that like hey we're gonna crown an nba champion in mid-october but listen nothing is uh what it seems to be in this world all right let's get to this week's interview it's with doug whaley chief operating officer and managing partner of the beautiful game group we find him in his hometown of pittsburgh first of all doug how are you what's life like there for you it's an exciting but certainly uncertain time in the world of sports
3: life is uh, as they say everybody's adjusting to a new normal
0: but uh, my
3: family and everyone I know is, is healthy and safe the thing that uh, we are adjusting to like is the new normal of of not really being around a lot of people and making sure you're diligent and being as safe as possible to help stay uh, Stamp down this the spread of this virus, but uh, we're taking it day by day.
1: Old man Barr here, and I. Before I get into all the football questions, I have to ask, beautiful game group, what mm-hmm. is that?
3: Well, right now we are working on a found building a foundation for an investment vehicle to acquire franchises in growth sports, and the focus will be in, in soccer, basketball, rugby. Esports and then uh, also the lifestyle brand of cycling. So we are in the beginning stages of that, and uh, hopefully, uh, if I get back on the program, we can uh, adjust and we'll we'll have a lot more information on you
2: for you guys about that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to follow up on that question What is the genesis of the name Beautiful Game Group?
3: Well, in if you know anything about the real football, not American football, the the soccer or what Americans call soccer over in Europe? They call it the beautiful game. So our founder and CEO Oliver Finley, he's a, a guy from the UK, and he wanted to pl- make a play on that, so everybody could uh, understand what our, our focus is, and that's going to be on on football. But it's the beautiful game group, and it, it uh, triggers a lot of the world to understand that we're talking about soccer.
0: And it's interesting, Doug, too, to think about sort of the the global ambition of sport at this point, especially as our lives are increasingly small as you alluded to and yet we also know almost counterintuitively we've discovered what a small place the world is and how interconnected we all are through this through this global pandemic i do wonder even in the abstract how sport sort of fits into that and what you've learned about sport in general and sports uh, as you've thought about this but also as you've gone through you know the last 6 7 months of this pandemic
3: I think if you, if you really look at it and break it down, when sports teams were first created, uh, I, they used to be a distraction from everyday life that used to unite communities. It was the focal point where everybody would come and, and sit down or go to a game and, and just be able to forget about the week's work and root for their team. But I think what has switched now I think with everything with the pandemic, the social unrest, I think people and teams now have to take the responsibility of being the galvanizing force that unites the communities and to help them make everyday life better for all. So I do really think that that focus has shifted from away from the fans supporting the team to the team supporting the community.
1: I'm wondering if the NFL, how severe is this COVID problem? Now we have the Patriots, Stephen Gilmore tested positive for COVID. Of course, Cam Newton tested positive for COVID. More Titans players have tested positive for COVID. Where does the league go from here?
3: I I think when when you look at sports in general, they're not, they're a microcosm of society. So you're going to have some, Positive test. Where they go from here is, 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 you have to go back to what a lot they say a lot in football, and it's being diligent, being prepared, being responsible, being accountable. And that they're going to have to stress to their players in each and every city that this is a commitment that you've made to the NFL. It's not a right to play in it, it's a privilege. And it, to be a privilege for all. You have to be diligent in what you do, not only in the building but outside of the building, for the greater good of all. It's a sacrifice you have to sacrifice when you're training. And then, as there's that saying... Sacrifice not only in training, but sacrifice in all parts of your life so you can be the best player you can be. But this is going to take, this pandemic has taken that up a notch where you have to sacrifice for the greater good of the sport in general. So I think that those are those messages that you have, that the teams in the NFL have to depart to their players. Because when, it, when you get down to it, if one person does not make that sacrifice it could bring down not only a team but a whole league
2: i want to follow up on that doug you spent many many years as a pro scouting director with pittsburgh general manager of the buffalo bills are we asking the impossible for more than 50 nfl players to go directly from practice home and just shut the door and don't leave and just have a direct line between the locker room the stadium and their home
3: it's a, it's a tall ask. Absolutely. Is it impossible? No. Do I think it's going to be able to be enacted and 100% fail proof for, for the rest of the year? I would, I, if I was a betting man, I would say no. That's difficult because look at society as a whole. I mean, you, you get fatigue, you get COVID burnout. And then you add to the fact that these guys are under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure to be able to perform every single day. They're going to need a release. And in the normal world, they could have a release of getting together with friends, family, going out, having a meal, uh, and and enjoying entertainment. Now you reduce those abilities to uh, get away from the daily grind of the NFL. And and trust me, that is a daily grind. I mean, to be able, because every day they could lose their jobs because they have to perform at their highest level. Every day they walk into that, their facility. So that is a a stress and and a lot of people think about the physical stress of the game because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a physical game and to, have that physical stress for those many weeks you're talking about 20 plus weeks but a lot of people don't realize it's that mental grind not knowing every day if you're going to have a job and and knowing every day you have to you can't come in day and say well you know what i don't feel too well and i can't perform because guess what there's somebody behind you hungry to take your job and perform and hopefully get to the point where they're financially stable to to set up not only their, this generation but multiple generations in their families. So that's one of the things that I, I, I don't think a lot of people really put a lot of thought or credence to it, but the mental stress is just as good or sometimes greater than the physical stress on these players. And then when you add to the fact that you're, you're talking about young adults that haven't been able to find coping mechanisms, and a lot of those coping mechanisms were coming from college, where it was "let's go out and and, and be social." So it's it's going to be very tough, and and it's a long winded way to say uh, they got an uphill battle to fight.
0: Doug, I got to ask you: you've been in these locker rooms, you've been in the offices, you've been in the league. What's the decision tree here in this unprecedented time?
2: Well, the
3: decision tree, uh, it starts with the leadership from the NFL office. They have to make sure, and I've seen reports where they get together and stress to every single team the diligence that's needed, not only from the Coaching staff, front office staff, and executives, but to the players. So that has to trickle down. But uh, the other thing that I think is going to be very important is guys in the locker room. They have to look at each other and say, hey, listen, just like when it's fourth and goal and we need one yard to get a touchdown or stop them from a touchdown, I'm depending on you to do your responsibility. This is taking that thought process up another notch because it's all about teamwork and responsibility and being accountable to your teammates. This is at a major level above that on the field because it's not only – our livelihoods at our stake, because if you start missing games and canceling games, that has that tumbling effect of, all right, now the broadcasters don't have anything to broadcast, then the TV revenue starts to decrease. So it, it's it's a wide-ranging issue that could be stopped or halted if everybody's accountable, just like you need to be accountable to your teammate on the field. Now you have to be just as accountable to your teammates off the field.
2: Roger Goodell has already fined a number of coaches for not wearing their masks. Uh, he has threatened a uh, f- to suspend people, he has threatened to take away draft picks, and he has threatened to even have teams forfeit games if they don't comply. Putting your general manager's hat back on, do you look at that and say, ah, "He'd never take away a draft pick. He could never make us forfeit a game." So the only thing we have to worry about is a fine or maybe a suspension. Or would you actually be fearful that he might go to all that to the greatest length of forfeiting a game?
3: When you, when I would, if if it was, if I was in that position, I would remove all doubt. And stress that I wouldn't want to test him. I don't. We don't want to say he won't do this or won't do that to make sure he wouldn't make us forfeit a game. Let's put our mask on because we don't want to test that boundary. And all of a sudden, we're 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 ten and six. end the season but guess what he says you're going to forfeit one of those games now we're nine and seven and we missed the playoff the ramifications are too great for you to put it in the hands of someone else and as I and as I said before I would stress let's remove all doubt
1: you know never mind about COVID-19 I want to talk about the game itself and you touched off in it before we went into the break and and I want to go to a quote you said on a radio interview you said that it's a violent game that I personally don't think humans are supposed to play. And I get on myself as a fan way back in the day, because I was rooting for the, Ooh, he got hit. You know, you see someone go up the middle and I mean, they get creamed. And I did not think at the time, and we didn't learn about concussions and the physical toll that it takes on the body of the player. Can you comment more on that?
3: Yeah, I'll comment. First of all, the, the quote was, it's a violent game, and human beings weren't built to play the game. I never said supposed to. So, And it was in reference to injuries. Injuries will always be part of the game, and because it's such a violent game, there is no way to be able to take those out of the game. So, and I know I got, it was, obviously, that's what the quote that everybody hangs their hat on, and I was... Obviously, on the national media spotlight for a while. But if you if you take the whole context of the conversation, it was about Sammy Watkins, and he's a talented receiver, but has had injuries throughout his career. And my point was, and they were saying, is he injury prone? And I prefaced it by saying, with this game being so violent in the human body, it's not; it can't stand up for to that amount of collisions and not be susceptible to injuries now the nfl has done a lot of improvements for the safety of the game equipment has improved and i think we are going into that direction and i like the way the direction and believe you me football is my true love and passion i wouldn't be where i am today in this world without football and what has provided me not only educationally uh, memory-wise and professionally, so no way in circum- no way was I ever saying football shouldn 't be played i 'm saying that it, we have to recognize it 's a violent game. The NFL has recognized it because of the safety measures they put in place, but you will never be able to take injuries out of the game. Where it goes from here, I think just like everything in this world there 's going to be advancement, especially in in, in the technology of all the equipment, when you look at the helmets, and then in the acknowledgement of safer play, tackling, taking targeting out of it. So I think we're going in a very positive direction to limit and injuries, but you will never be able to eliminate them.
0: Take me through, take us through this summer. We were in the midst of a global pandemic, and then we enter into what I think we would all agree is a long, long overdue reckoning on racial inequality and social injustice sports in many way came to the fore the professional the the national football league obviously was not playing at that moment but the nba was getting ready to play and we've seen a lot of manifestations of player empowerment i think during this era what do you make of it from where you sit and knowing the world of sports as much as you do
3: I think, first of all, the fact that this is a topic of conversation globally, not just in in America, means that the needle has moved to awareness. I mean, being able to make the general public, that especially the general public that's never been affected by something like racial injustice, realize that their non-action is part of the problem, I think is, is, is a great step forward. Uh, The next step will be implementing actions, and that's where I think players have realized that they have a powerful voice, and at some times and many times, and I think now, a more powerful voice than they've ever had in in years past because of the advent of social media and the advent of knowing that they can create their brand. Back in the day it was always the brand of the team and let's be about the team, the Steelers, the Cowboys, New England, let me promote that brand. Now it has shifted to say, the brand is the player and they can promote their brand and you know back in the day when i was grow up growing up <clears throat> that slogan that <clears throat> excuse me that players should be role models i'm very excited to see that players today are realizing that they can be role models and they're accepting that challenge They're accepting that they are in a position to influence this world and future generations to strive to do better. So I think there's nothing but positive for them being able to realize that they can not only swing the needle, but move people in directions that make this world a better place.
0: So when it comes to personnel, Doug, uh, you know one of the things that we will look back on on this era about inevitably uh, is the saga of Colin Kaepernick and and what that meant to the league in 2016, what it means in 2020, and how it has changed football from the way that pro teams are managed, uh, what the players consider their own roles. Uh, having been in it uh, during that time, I do wonder what you make of that, and and what the legacy of Colin Kaepernick is going to be.
3: Well, I mean, I think when it's all said and done, um, it may get to the level of not surpassed, but in the same conversation as Muhammad Ali, because when this, when when you think about it, and, and I'll ask. Everybody that hears this to to think and ask this question to yourself. What is it in your life, besides your family, that you would stand for that would cost you your career? Think about that. Ask yourself that. So for for the way I look at it, for a person to be that selfless, to give up what he loves the most, besides his family, his ability to do what he's done for so much of his life for a cause that doesn't benefit him, I think that's where the focus should be because that is something that's bigger than football. And it's what life is all about. And I think it's, it's a, something that shows the younger generations that to be selfless is better to be, than be selfish. To be selfless is better than to be an entertainer. To be selfless is better than to be a sports star. It's about, and that to me is about true leadership and true ability to see past just self-gratification. So those are the things I think are going to come out of this on the societal side. On the football side, hopefully, it shows to the NFL and all major sports that what someone does to help the society and community should not play into how if you, they should be employed. They should be only judged on their ability as a player instead of their social stances.
1: That's a brilliant statement. And, I, and when you went there, I was thinking about the 1968 Olympics, and mm-hmm. I was thinking of Tommy Smith and uh, John Carlos. They, yeah. uh, they held the, the Black Power salute, and then they had their medals stripped. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I thought at that time, you know, it was. let me put it this way. I thought we passed that time, and I'm no. not so sure now.
3: I I have to agree with you, and I don't know if you guys are are, are music fans, but if you think about it, the song What's Going On?
1: Yes, Marvin Gaye. uh, I mean,
3: yeah, Marvin Gaye, What's Going On? 1963, Sam Cooke, A Change Is Going to Come. Marvin Gaye's What's Going On with 71. Those songs are still relevant today in 2020 as they were in 63 and 71. Why is that? We need, as a society, as a human race, to look within each other, within ourselves, and look at each other and say, why is that? And then the second step is saying, that's awareness of why it is. Now let's take the second step and saying, what can I do to make this better? What can I do to help educate the younger generations to say, this has to change. And, and I feel that listening to the younger generations and, and the people that are, are, are front line of these protests, I, that's one of the things that I, I feel strongly that it's moving in that direction because these young people are noticing, like the young athletes, they have a voice and they can help institute change. So hopefully 10 to 15 years from now, we can just be recognizing those songs as good songs and not understanding that message still needs to be purveyed today.
2: Doug, following up on that, are you encouraged uh, with the uh, voices that are now being heard from the professional athletes? Uh, Are you hopeful?
3: Absolutely. No doubt about it. I mean, when you take LeBron James, one of the most recognizable athletes in the world, standing up for equality And social injustice you talk about Megan Rapinoe standing up for equal rights for women athletes I I am encouraged And, and, and I think that's going to matriculate to the younger generations and say I love sports because of sports but I also love what sports can bring for the betterment of this society and the world and I think they're setting the standard and maybe even say a gold standard of what it means to be an athlete in, not only today but in, for future athletes
1: i want to talk about what i think is one of the most pressure-packed moments especially for you and you've been there for draft night and you're on the clock and all of a sudden it's like okay do we take this guy do we take that guy oh so-and-so team has said okay if you don't take this guy we'll give you these draft picks whatever i i I can't imagine the pressure going through that. And when you were with the the Bills and you were in the front office there, can you take us through that, what that experience was like?
3: I hate to disappoint you, but draft day, if you do it the way we set it up, is rather methodical and uh, not as stressful as people would think. The stress is the preparation up to draft day. There's a saying, chance favors the prepared man. So what we would do, we would go through all, we would have all the information on possible trades, especially the, for first round one, two, and three. Who's interested in moving up? Who's interested in coming moving down? We would have talked to all 31 other teams, had the designated person to call about trades, knowing that. Uh, what scenarios where they would be interested, where they would be calling us or we should reach out to them. We would set our board. So we would have our board ranked from, especially when they moved it to three days, the first day was the first first round. We would have our board set up for our top 32 players and the order we would pick them. So all we would sit there and do is watch the board, watch picks and as the board came off you'd be about two to three picks before yourself you'd listen you'd call reach out to those teams that expressed interest and maybe moving if they were interested you'd you'd already have some parameters set then you'd deal with that and say okay let's make this trade if not you'd already had you'd already talked through with your coaches and your scouting staff and your ownership this is how these guys fall this is the where the the positions we take them. So when you're on the clock, the highest guy rated on your board, you take them. You've already done the work. So draft day for us and the way I was taught in Pittsburgh and and what we, I implemented in Buffalo was that draft day shouldn't be a panic, shouldn't be stressful, shouldn't be, because the work's done. And it's just like the week of practice. The week of practice is the hardest part of the week game day is fun because you you've prepared so you're ready and any situations come you know oh let's do this let's do this let's check out of this play let's check out of that play oh okay well that guy's gone the next best guy that we've talked about as an organization and said on our draft board is that guy so you take that guy and then also then you can add into another layer of you could put a line where hey these are the guys we wouldn't trade away from So you know, okay, if we're drafting 10th, we're not going to go lower than 27th because we think the disparity in ability is is not worth what you gain draft pick-wise. Or there's a line that you put, hey, if it gets close and we think we have the ammunition, there's the line of guys where we would trade up to get. So all of that goes into the preparation, and if you do it right, draft day is actually fun and there's no stress.
1: See, you explained why I screwed up my fantasy football draft. Plus, plus I had a couple of beers. I said the quiet part out loud, Mike. I'm sorry. You know, there's always an ulterior motive whenever
2: Barr jumps in with a question like that. So on draft day, I'm sure that when it comes to some picks, there's a little discord in the room. I mean, as the general manager, do you have the final say? Or is sometimes the owner over in the corner saying, I really think we should take so-and-so? Who has the final say, the final voice, and how is that settled?
3: Well, first of all, the general manager, when I was with Buffalo, I had the, the, the say on draft day. But, again, what you, we would do is we would sit with the head coach, myself, the ownership, Terry and Kim Pagula, and Jim Monas, our, our director of player personnel, and we'd hash out everything. Everybody would have a chance to say, well, this guy – This is what I like, don't like, blah, blah, blah. And then, as a collective group, that's how we would stack that board. And if there was any disagreements, my philosophy was always say, would be like, okay, if we're not unanimously agreed that this person should be slotted at this draft position, let's find someone that is. Because what you want to do is to make sure when you're in drafting that when you walk out of that draft room, you have internal debate but external unity and then also you want to know when you pick a person and Draft capital is so precious that everybody not only in the decision-making hierarchy but in the whole Facility understands this is our guy and this is a guy that everybody feels comfortable with so we always try to set it up that there isn't any disagreement. And if there is, let's find someone that there's total agreement on.
0: Doug Whaley, we really enjoyed spending time with you today. Thank you so much for your insights, for your candor, and really helping us think about so many things going on in the world right now. That is Doug Whaley. He is the COO, managing partner of Beautiful Game Group, former general manager of the Buffalo Bills, longtime Pittsburgh guy, Here's hoping that we're talking later on in the season about a successful football season and looking forward to learning more about what you're up to with this new gig.
3: Fellas, it was was a pleasure. I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, The conversation was great. The questions were, I think, right on point of what's going on with the world today. Thank you for uh, offering a chance for me to give my opinion and my view on these subjects. I think it's very important. And uh, do look forward to the next time we talk so we can get into the beautiful
0: game group. All right. Thank you, Doug. Be well. Thanks, Doug. So, guys, really interesting conversation, wide-ranging to say the least. Uh, Eager to see what he does next. His experience, I think, is incredibly relevant when you're thinking about building a – sports empire to some extent here in 2020? It's a different world.
2: Without question. Um, I, where do I start with a takeaway? Uh, this is one of the most fascinating conversations we've had on this show. One little uh, little phrase he used, which I think is applies not only to he was speaking about the draft, he said, let's have internal debate, but external unity. I think that applies not only to the NFL draft, I think it applies to any team, any company, any business, or any family. Uh, it's a great saying, a great phrase, and that's going to
0: stick with me. Bar, what'd you think?
1: i had to when he asked that question what would i do that would cost me my career but it would be selfless and i i stopped i had the i was thinking and and i had to snap myself back into the interview because it's like wow that's a powerful question yeah and i between that and what he said which was brilliant what he said about the violence of the game we have to educate ourselves as fans and and relearn what the game is all about and remember that there are men out there playing the human beings and all this is like go out there and and crack some skulls i mean we we can't think like that anymore
0: it's a different world i i mean you, do, you- you think about someone like him, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, going to school there, going to college there, making his way, working for his hometown team, and then building on that, you know, becoming, you know, one of only a handful of top black executives in the NFL, you know, he has seen some things and seen some things from different perspectives. I also really took something away from what he talked about, about this moment in In terms of fighting COVID, too, and the conversations that need to be had in locker rooms, not just by the GMs like he was, but also the players basically like, hey, guys, snap in. This is our livelihood on the line. Don't be an idiot. And sometimes you just have to say to each other, to your peers, don't be an idiot.
2: Yeah, it comes through some – like veteran leadership, uh, he was basically alluding to that, that you have to make a sacrifice for the greater good of the team and the greater good of the National Football League. And nobody wants to be the guy – that, uh, you know, kicked over the lantern that started the uh, the fire, you know, in the, Mrs. O'Leary's uh, barn. And that's basically what what could be happening here in the National Football
0: League. My goal is you want to be the number one pick.
1: That's something I've been dreaming of since I'm a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. My... We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Here's the question, folks. Hyperice there, the maker of a performance recovery product. Now, I'm going to ask you for the valuation of the company. Now, I'm going to give you a hint. This is after they raised $48 million from the NBA, the NFL's investment arm, 32 Equity, and a group of pro athletes. That's including Naomi Osaka and Russell Westbrook. I am looking for the valuation of the company now. And this time, we're going to reverse it. I want to start with Lynchy first.
2: All right. So they raised how much?
1: Uh, they raised $48 million. What I want is the valuation of Hyper Ice. Uh, it can't be
2: oh, half a billion. Uh, I'm going to go $750 million. Jason?
0: Um, I know a little bit about this company only because I know some of the folks who, who helped put it together. I don't remember the exact valuation. I think it's slightly less. Um, it's in that ballpark, but I feel like it's 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 sub seven. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go lower, but only slightly lower.
1: Well, you just come on up on stage, Jason. My goodness, it's about yes. time you got here. My God. It's Jeez. $700 million. And I heard Lynch, and he was like, I'm going to go 700 ah. And I'm like, <gasps>
0: <laughs> if he had hit it if honestly if he had hit it on the net i just would have like thrown my headset <laughs> down and walked out guys could have finished up without me oh. uh no that's so interesting it's such an interesting company they've got an incredible roster yes. of uh athletes in fact i'm I'm trying to get them on the show so we'll stay tuned stay tuned because i think it's a fascinating uh fascinating thing uh. <laughs> <laughs> this one's going to stick in Lynchy's craw. He's going to be like making the turn this afternoon and be like, why didn't I say 700? Why didn't I just say 700? All right. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcast. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News.
2: And I'm Mike Lynch. Uh, Jason and Barr just ruined my weekend. You can find me at Lynchy.
1: WCBB. <laughs> And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at BigBarrSports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports Bloomberg Radio around the world.